welcome to an Inform Life Radio and 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, on this Friday afternoon. I hope you all had a good week and you're doing well heading into the weekend. Um, you know, things are really getting, I say, I have to stop saying that, that things are getting crazy, but they continue, the pressure continues to up and up on individuals to make medical choices they may not want to make. And we're going to be talking about that um, a little bit later, um, mostly like in the second hour. In this, uh, in this first hour today, I'm bringing to you an interview I did just a little bit earlier, I recorded earlier. It's a mom, her name is Jessica Lay, and her daughter, 16-year-old daughter, Savannah. Um, Savannah was playing basketball last May for her school in a practice wearing a mask. And this led her to not feel well. And ultimately, well, I'm gonna let you hear from herself what happened because of this. Um, and, and I'll do a little uh, gabbing after I play this recording for you. So I'm just gonna go ahead and, and get this started for you. So hi, Jessica, and welcome to an Inform Life Radio. Hi, thank you for having me on. Um, you know, I really love working with Children's Health Defense. They do sponsor one hour of an Inform Life Radio, and you are with the California chapter of Children's Health Defense, um, helping them. I'm going to pause just a moment here because I re recorded both of my interviews today. And the first one that queued up is the one with um, Children's Health Defense Attorney. So we're going to listen to that one first, and then we'll go on to the lace. Now with the, the legal issues, which is fantastic. And there's been some really important things filed down in California recently. Uh, one in particular is going to be our focus. It has to do with um, the schools and what's being asked of parents uh, for their kids to go back to school. But I also wanted to touch on one I saw recently um, posted, if you could comment on, I was just reading about an LMU students who are suing over vaccine-based discrimination policies. Are you familiar with that one? Yes, I help work on the LMU suit as well as the LAUSD suit. And um, the LMU suit is based on the fact that uh, the school is allowing uh, students to get medical or religious exemptions, but if they do, then they're required to undergo uh, excess of things that other people aren't required to do. That's why we're calling it a discriminatory, discriminatory situation. So essentially the unvaccinated students who have exemptions, valid exemptions under the law, will then be required to submit to what they call surveillance testing where they will be tested for COVID on a regular basis. They will also be required to wear masks at all times on campus, um, unlike the vaccinated students. So we see that as really targeting these students for whatever kind of harassment or discrimination the other students may feel um, they're worthy of, given mm -hmm. the fact that they'll be marked as being unvaccinated. Um, and the school has put out some information saying, you know, that they're not going to be marked. It's not true because other people could be voluntarily wearing masks if they wanted to. But as we see it, that's, you know, that's pretty spurious because it, it's going to be pretty obvious who's who in, in yeah. that situation. Yes. And I, I completely agree. And none of it is based on science. 
none of it is based That's on, you know, the, the mat, the vaccinated are no more or no less likely to be spreading. In fact, we know with the Delta variant that they are more likely to be spreading and it's just, it, it makes no sense. So I was really glad to see that. And I encourage uh, listeners, no matter what state you are in, go to the childrenshealthdefense.org to the California chapter. It's ca.childrenshealthdefense.org. And you can find that article and read about it. And you might be able to um, take action where you are to file similar suits to, to stop this discrimination um, that's going on. So thank you for that. So let's, yeah. let's move on now to what our main discussion. Tell me about this other lawsuit. So the lawsuit that we filed against Los Angeles Unified School District is a lawsuit that's against their various policies that they've implemented um, that basically tell parents that you can't bring your children into or in-person education unless you do a number of things. First, you have to agree to um, release your child's health data. Uh, for the purposes of COVID testing, which will be done on a regular basis, but they don't say the exact interval. And what I just found out this last week, initially they had, when we filed the lawsuit, they had um, this policy, which applied to all students. Now they've changed it. And this testing policy only applies to unvaccinated students. So we have a similar discriminatory regime popping up in the LA case as well. This was not initially present, but this is a late development um, that I just became aware of this week, actually, when I looked back at their policies on the website. So that's an interesting development. So beyond that, they also are required to wear masks, everyone, all students, regardless of vaccination status. Um, and then they're also required to use the Microsoft Daily Pass app to upload their health information and um, essentially allow themselves to be tracked and traced, um, you know, purportedly for public health reasons and to be able to trace, you know, infections or if there's an outbreak. Mm -hmm. um, but what they're required to release for the purposes of this whole scheme is, is very, very concerning okay. for us. And um, two questions. One, um, what is what are the ages? Is this like in elementary? Is it K twelve? What age? Groups? It's K through twelve. Okay. Yeah, K okay. through twelve. So all the students, and for those listeners um, and viewers who don't know about Los Angeles Unified School District, it's the second largest school district in the country, um, and so this is affecting a massive amount of students. Mm -hmm. This policy, and um, you know the the whole scheme is that you have to uh, agree to these things and sign these releases as parents in order for your children to come to school at all. Now, they say that they're accommodating people if they don't wish to agree to these things, they will, they can just stay and do distance learning like they did last year. Mm -hmm. Now, we all know that distance learning is a poor equivalent to in-person learning. And here in the state of California, we have a constitutional right to a public education under the state constitution, which is not present in every state. But here in California, this is a constitutional right of our students. And we find this whole um, system that LA is trying to put in place unfair and not right for the students of our state. 
Mm -hmm. And we have something very similar happening here in Washington state. And we also have guaranteed under the constitution that for student education. So I'll be following this very closely. And, you know, we do have some attorneys now stepping up in Washington, really wanting to help fight to protect children. So I'm hoping we can get something similar going here. So this yeah. is exciting. And I believe you have uh, to share with us the actual <laughs> form that parents are being asked to sign. Yes, I do. Let me. Um, let me share that with you. Okay. Here we go. So here is the um, disclosure form that parents are required to sign to enroll their kids in in-person can I ask you a question, you know, um, a legal question, when, when a school tells a parent you are required to sign this, under what authorization do they have? I mean, do they actually have well, a legal right to withhold education if you don't sign such a form? Well, we argue no. Um, and that's essentially what the lawsuit is saying. Los Angeles Unified has said, yes, they have the right to do this. Um, but when we look at this document, you can see that what they're asking these parents to do is is really unreasonable. Okay. So if you look at the language of this document, you see that Los Angeles Unified School District authorization for use and disclosure of health information. And so it says this authorization describes how we may use and disclose your information to facilitate the Los Angeles Unified School District's COVID-19 testing and school community engagement program. And I want to say, stop there really quick. The school community engagement program is the Los Angeles Unified School District's program of tracking and tracing students. So this um, disclosure is to be used for that purpose and also for their COVID testing purposes. Um, and so it says that completion of this document authorizes the disclosure and use of health information about you. And when they say you, they're talking about the student, the minor student, and the parents are being asked to sign this on behalf of their students. Mm -hmm. Now, if we go down here, you see what they're authorizing. Authorization required for testing. I hereby authorize LAUSD to use and disclose the following information about the individual identified below. And again, that's the student. And here where is where it really gets scary for a lot of parents, because what it says is they're gonna um, use and disclose all information that identifies me, meaning the student, or that relates to testing me for exposure to the 2019 novel coronavirus that is collected or created as a part of LAUSD's testing and school community engagement program including without limitation, my COVID-19 test results. So what that paragraph is saying is that they're gonna use personally identifiable information. When they're saying all information that identifies me, that means personal information about the child. Um, and then it's very, you know, it's very broad. It says, or that relates to testing me. Um, hmm. So this is a very broad disclosure of, of personal information, um, identifying information of the student, of mm -hmm. the minor. Mm -hmm. And then it goes on to say, well, who's going to get this information? All right. And we see here, it says, I authorize 
LAUSD to use and disclose the above information for any purpose related to LAUSD's COVID-19 testing and school community engagement program. So they're saying you can use this for any reason for the tracking and tracing or for their testing program. Mm -hmm. All right, and then it goes on to what I think is one of the most significant things here, which it says, um, so you authorize, you're authorizing the use of this information and to disclose this information. And it says, including uses and disclosures required by law. And then it goes on. These are things that are not required by law. Disclosures to any county, state, or other government public health or other agency with jurisdiction. And this is where it really gets terrible. Also, it's allowing disclosures to LAUSD's contractors, vendors, and medical research partners for the purposes of assisting in the design, development, and operation of the testing program. Um, so what, what that means is you have no idea what, who is going to have this information and what they're going to use it for. Exactly. This is so broad. You see, you see the problem here? Oh, definitely. Yeah, that's just, <clears throat> it's a slippery slope, you know? Uh, Very much so. What they have been doing for the past year and a half or more with everything COVID related is laying the framework using pandemic situation to lay the framework to be able to monitor, track, trace, compel, um, incentivize all sorts of whatever they choose, you know, right. Just, this is, this is really disturbing. Once they set the president and they have mostly what concerns me is the framework, the precedent plus that framework to do it. Um, absolutely. And then absolutely. everybody gets used to it. It's like, we all sign our lives away. Every time we sign up for something online and there's like a six page small print, you know, thing that you have to read that nobody reads, you just click that, you know, I agree. Right. Yes. So people absolutely. will get used to this and be signing their lives away and have no idea what they signed. This is way different right. than clicking something online because you want to get that free ebook or something. This is much more important. Exactly. And I mean, imagine the, the situation that these poor parents are in. You know, they're looking at this document saying, I have to sign this to enroll my child in in-person education. You know, and, it, and it's interesting if you go, I want to just go to the second page of this document really quick. And it has this, this declaration of your rights, which I find very misleading because it says, oh, I understand my rights. I understand that I may refuse to sign this authorization. And, and remember, refusing means your, your child can't come to school. And, and then they go on to say what the refusal means. And they say refusal to sign this authorization will not result in LAUSD's denial of any treatment for any health care condition or payment for health care that would otherwise be provided or in LAUSD's denial of any otherwise existing eligibility or enrollment in any health benefit program. Mm -hmm. So you see what they're doing here. They're, they're giving you these rights, but they don't have to do with your rights to not disclose your information to the school. And they and also what, are not saying 
that you're going to be excluded from school if you refuse to sign this. Exactly. So, and while I'm and glad that they point out you're not going to be denied health benefits, this is in many areas of, of, for COVID-19 over the past years if you refuse something. But what I find yeah. very concerning is anytime they t give you define a right, later on they have been revoking that. So at what point are they going to then revoke? As, as the arm twisting continues and people continue to dig in their heels and say, no, I don't want that experimental product or whatever, you know, at what point are they going to say, okay, well, I guess we have to deny them health benefits if they're not going to play along. It's our last, you know, I find that very right. concerning. Yeah. So you're right. So there is no information that says if you don't sign this, you can still go to school. Right. And so this is what we find with LA. This is something that they do all the time. They'll, they'll make policy but then when you look at their written materials they don't really describe the policy in the way it's described orally or in other ways oh. and so you end up in this situation so when you try to take them to task for this they say what well, what do you mean our author you know look at the authorization it doesn't say you can't come to school so what but are you talking how, about? Right. They, they like to word things. They do the wordsmithing. And I've seen yes. it here in Washington State with public records requests. You will see the, the drafts. Like the one that just fries me is there's a draft letter to sixth graders here in Washington State where they're, they have on the schedule to get another uh, Tdap vaccine at the sixth grade. Mm -hmm. And I saw them wordsmithing behind the scenes. How do we add to this form Gardasil and the flu vaccine so that uh, parents may go ahead and get it, but it doesn't actually say it's necessary. They wordcrafted that so parents would just assume it's required. And that's what they have come some brilliant I hate to say the word evil, but it seems rather evil people drafting things so that people assume and then whatever that assumption is becomes what they're, they, they're marketing messaging. Oh yeah, you got to sign this to come to school. That becomes the marketing message, even if it's not based on truth. This is a typical right. government um, way of coercing people, isn't it? They, they cover That's... their behinds with the actual letters don't say that but then they market what they really want. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we saw this, there's a, there's a lawsuit against LAUSD on behalf of the teachers related to what they were calling the mandatory vax um, earlier this year. And the same thing happened when, when they went into court, basically the district said, Hey, you know, we didn't say that that wasn't mm -hmm. our policy, mm -hmm. but that's what they were threatening teachers with. So it's this, speaking out of both sides of your mouth that's very common um in la and and, and all over the place right now really yep, um much. so yeah it, you know this is the kind of and this is the thing that people need to be aware of they play games with their policies and so you really have to pay attention mm -hmm. to what you're doing what you're signing and, and what mm -hmm. you're being asked to do because like you said they use this wordsmithing and they confuse people really and they do it on purpose um and so i just wanted to point out one more thing on this form if you go down further, it talks about redisclosure. And so not only are you releasing your child's personally identifiable health information um, to all these partners and research partners and vendors, but also you're saying, I understand that the information disclosed pursuant to this authorization could be redisclosed by the recipient. And such redisclosure in some cases not prohibited by applicable law and may no longer be protected by federal confidentiality laws, such as 
HIPAA. Oh, so what, what they're saying is not only are you going to release this to our vendors and all these people, but they're going to go release it to who knows who. Mm-hmm. And you really don't have any protections, so sign sign down on the bottom line. Oh, good heavens. Nobody um, signed that form. I don't know if you could say yes. that, but I'm going to say that. <laughs> Bernadette says don't sign that form. <laughs> so, you know, this is what these parents in L.A. are, are, are looking at right now. Um, and this is obviously concerning for anybody who's worried about their privacy or their child's health information. Yeah. Um, and, you know. and so and so what what did you file? I would love to hear that. What can you share about what you filed um, to stop it? Well, so we filed a, um, a lawsuit against Los Angeles um, Unified's uh, superintendent, Austin Butner, and the board mm-hmm. um, and also the health director in, from the Los Angeles um, Department of Public Health which is what all of these things are based on is recommendations from the Department of Public Health, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we filed a lawsuit saying that this is discriminatory for these students. They should not be forced and their parents should not be forced to release this information. They should not be forced to wear masks all day because there's no data that shows that that's going to help anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that they should not be forced to upload all of this stuff onto the Microsoft daily app pass which daily pass app sorry um which has its own problems in terms of disclosures because you really the parents have no idea where that information is going once it gets to microsoft you know as we see from this disclosure form microsoft as a partner could redisclose and do who knows what with this information um yeah you're so by that, signing it you're you're agreeing that it could be reshared anywhere right yeah. exactly um, and, and so the lawsuit says that you can't exclude children from school because their parents don't want to sign something like this. Mm-hmm. Good. That's not fair. And that's against our constitution. Mm-hmm. You know, our, our children are, um, have a right to a public, a free and public education here in California and requiring parents to do something like this is just completely unreasonable and, and not fair and needs to be stopped. And that's, you know, that's the gravamen of what the lawsuit is about. That That is fantastic. Now, when does the school year start? And do you think you can get a response in time? You know, well, can, unfortunately, then, go ahead. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, you know, the gears of justice move quite slowly and school starts on August 16th here in California or in LA County. Um, and the response of the district is due on the 13th. So we're not probably going to be able to get any relief before the first day of school, unfortunately. Um, but what we I, are filing. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say it would be great if there could be something where, when they, you know, when it was when it's determined that it's not lawful for them to do this, that they're required to tell all the parents who sign the form, um, you may revoke your your permission. And make sure that that happens in a very blatant, obvious way, not hidden way. But here are the forms. Make sure that, you know, because it did say, I believe, at the very end there that you could revoke this permission. That's correct. And, yeah. and that's a very good point. And that's something that's going to be very important. And unfortunately, the, the parents are in a really tough position right now because there's no legal relief in time for the school year. And so now they're faced with either keeping their kids home or signing these kinds of things. Now, 
or you know I, or or showing up not That's with it not signing and just say a lawsuit has i'm sorry we think alike my dear. Um, <laughs> yeah. but a lawsuit has been filed and it might not be legal for you to ask so i am you know you need to let me in until this is settled okay go ahead <laughs> that's right and so that's what i think you know in terms of parents rights if i were a parent in la unified um i would not want to sign that form and i would send my children to school and say i'm not signing that you know there's nothing on the form that says if you don't sign it you can't come to school mm -hmm. right so that's i would right. use that you know and this is the thing use their double speak against them because mm -hmm you know, they try to do that to you. And so you can kind of do the same thing back. And so if I were a parent, I would say, listen, I'm not signing this. It says my rights and, and you know, I'm not trying to get medical care. So that's okay. And it doesn't say my child can't come to school. Exactly. And so in that way, you can actually force them to either assert their policy in writing, you know, or, or something like that, or let go of this, you know, double speak, essentially. Yeah. Exactly. The, the challenge for California Children's Health Defense is to get word to enough to the parents. Right, right. right? The, the, and, and yeah, yeah. And in a district of, I think it's almost 750,000 students. Wow. It's a massive undertaking, of course. Um, yeah. And this is the other problem in LA, and the, and the district has recognized this, that many of these students are um, of a low income level. Many of these students don't have home infrastructure to even really properly participate in any kind of virtual learning. You know, they don't have the internet connections, they don't have the equipment that's required, and they don't have the parental help at home to, mm -hmm. to facilitate any of this. And so, you know, just the thought of all of these, you know, hundreds of thousands of students being left in this difficult position and not being able to be educated and they've already lost a year of school. Mm -hmm. The the loss of learning is massive and, and there's tons of data on that. And even the district recognizes it. Mm -hmm. Even the, the superintendent Austin Butner himself said last year, you know, our students have, you know, their grades have plummeted. Many students haven't logged on. People are failing. You know, this is why the governor put, you know, that um, the governor had uh, proposed a law here saying, you know, if you feel like you couldn't have done the, the distance learning, you can apply and kind of get your grades erased from last year. That's how much of a failure this distance learning thing was last year. So you know, everyone agrees that this is a serious problem. <laughs> if, if I was a kid that had worked really hard to try to make this work and they told everybody you could just wipe your grades, Exactly. You know, I would exactly. be, I mean, it's great for the kids who could not learn in that method, but then, you know, it's like, why did I work so hard when I could have done nothing and it wouldn't have right. hurt my grades at all? I mean, it's just, the whole thing is so unfair on, on, from every angle. So you're so um, right. Yeah. You're so right. And also those students that were, you know, are really working hard for college and really, you know, these students who are juniors and seniors in high school and you lose your entire junior year. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, think about how that affects your future. Think about how that affects your ability to apply for college. Think about how that affects, you know, what you've learned. You know, you can't, my son is, uh, was a sophomore last year in high school. He took, you know, advanced chemistry online. That's not a chemistry class. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to be in the lab. You're supposed to be interacting with these, you know, chemicals and whatnot. 
it's it's just so not equivalent it's you know i don't even know how to describe it <laughs> you know yeah. it's just so it's just not even in the same world no it's not um, in the same world and and while before all of this there were were some children who did homeschool and did online learning and it worked for them it was a choice because nothing is one size fits all but right. i would say the majority of children for the bulk of their education do benefit more from in person and you know to take that away from them and force the, you know force the square peg in a round hole and vice versa right actually i think precisely can, i think you can put a round circle in a square hole but <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, yeah yeah so well you know our it's about a half hour and, and you gave me a half hour today i want you to have enough time to go eat your lunch before you have to get back to work so thank i really you. thank, thank you. you for for carving time out of your schedule to bring this really important precedent setting case. Thank you for all your work that you're doing um, and inspiring others around in all the other states to, to show us what to do. We've been- Yes, it's my loss. pleasure. Yeah. yeah, and thank you for you know getting this information out there with your yeah. show, so I really appreciate you. You're welcome very much. Uh, take care and uh, keep us updated, please. Okay, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks. That was Jessica of the California Children's Health Defense. Um, they're just doing such wonderful work there, just trying to, you know, protect citizens, protect children from all of these things that are going on. Um, it's it's so frustrating. And later on in the next hour, I, I apologize that the um, recordings are not queued up right. The next hour, I'm going to be bringing you Jessica and Savannah Lay to talk about her, uh, what happened to her because of uh, being required to wear a mask while playing a sport. Um, but we covered a little bit in that, and you will hear the fact that common sense is missing. Where, where on earth? you know, is the common sense. I'm gonna go ahead and make myself visible here for people watching the video. Um, you know, if, if we were to put masks on cats and dogs, the animal cruelty organizations would be honest in a heartbeat saying, you can't do that. You can't mask up these animals. That's not safe. There's no study saying that you can mask these animals eight hours a day, five days a week why are we allowing it to happen to our children? The emergency use authorization um, was granted. And it's, it's really amazing when we go read. I'm going to see if I've got handy here. I think I do where I can read to you guys. I was reading it earlier and maybe I don't have it pulled up. But from the emergency use authorization language, basically, Manufacturers and distributors of the commercially produced face masks worn by the general public are not allowed to say that they protect, that they protect you from bacterial infection or viral infection, um, you know, because they don't. They're not allowed to say that they do. You can't say that. The only thing that these masks were put on anybody in the general public for symptom-free general public was to maybe catch droplets. And we know that healthy people 
are not going around coughing and sneezing, putting out a lot of droplets. We're not having asymptomatic transmission. The real world tracking and tracing studies that actually cultures people that they find to be asymptomatic asymptomatically infected, and then they go trace their, that exposure, there is no transmission happening. To mask up healthy children is just so wrong. And so I'm, I'm so pleased to see that what they're doing in California, and I know other states are working really hard. A lot of what's gonna, gonna happen is it's gonna come down to saying no in so many ways we're going to have so i don't know what happens with government when or even businesses when they get to be a certain size they start off well meaning they want to serve a purpose they want to serve you if it's our elected officials it's of our state agencies they're set up to address a need but what happens is that they get a little bit big and then eventually they work to serve to preserve themselves and not to serve the people anymore. And the bigger it is, the less connected it is with the actual outcomes of their programs. The bigger they get, the more government agencies and government programs work to preserve the agencies and the programs and not the people they were set up to serve. It happens every single time. Um, so maybe that's just the human condition maybe the human condition, we just have to accept the fact that we have to always be on the lookout for these well-meaning agencies we set up to no longer be serving us and to be okay with saying, hey, you know, it's time for a change. change. It's time to shake things up, to redo this, you know, tear this apart, start from scratch, you know, and, and start something new instead of making these things that just get bigger and bigger and out of control. So for the next half hour here, I'm gonna um, pull up some really important news so I can pass on to you. I hope you're all remembering to go to uh, Children's Health Defense regularly um, and checking out the articles they have there and popping over to the Defender magazine. They have great articles. If it, if it recently happened in the past 12, 24, 48 hours, you're going to be finding it at Children's Health Defense. I got a pop-up window I have to get rid of here. Okay. So really important things have been going on. Um, one of their Newswatch stories is VAERS' uh, latest data include two new reports of teen deaths following COVID vaccine as total reports of deaths exceed 12,000. We have now exceeded the number of deaths due to reported following. Now we can't, in VAERS, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, I always have to explain that these are deaths reported mostly by doctors between, I've heard estimates between 65 and 85% of all the reports to VAERS were from doctors, nurses, medical establishments, and the rest from um, individuals, um, that these are just reports of injuries and deaths that happened following. You can't look at VAERS data for either causality or even frequency, how often in common and how many there are. But it's a place to see safety signals. 
And that's what it's good to be used for the safety signals. And, you know, after you see a safety signal, ideally our public health agencies would then be going to med entire medical systems and saying, well, we know that VAERS is 1% at best, maybe 10% is reported. Let's see how many cases there really were of this red flagged. They're not, they're not doing that. They're not giving us that actual data. We need a we need to set up a um, active reporting system that catches everything, but they resist doing that. There was there was one several years ago by the Harvard Pilgrim folks, um, and CDC quit following up. I think they didn't really want to know um, the true number of adverse reactions. There's an awful lot of money on on the line here. So that's really tragic to hear that the most recent data released shows the reports of two uh, teens who passed out, or um, excuse me, that, that died following receipt of COVID vaccines. Another article that they have is the physician speaks out against vaccine mandates for all, especially children and those with natural immunity. It's wonderful to begin to see doctors standing up. There have been many doctors over the years who've seen vaccine injury, who've been afraid to speak. And then as COVID hit, and then as the these new vaccines were released, doctors were still in that mode of being fearful of coming forward because that's the dynamic that had been in place. You know, something I hadn't mentioned in a while here, and I, I'm gonna, I think it's, it's time to cover it again. About a year ago is when Inform, uh, an Informed Life Radio launched about one year ago last summer. And my very first guest, I brought on the most controversial and also the most beloved doctor in the vaccine reform medical freedom movement. I brought on Dr. Andrew Wakefield. Most people um, outside of this movement only know the name Dr. Wakefield. They call him that fraud doctor who says that um, the MMR causes autism. That's what they've heard because that's what they get blasted at for the media, from the media for the past 20 years. When you go read exactly who Dr. Wakefield is and what happened to Dr. Wakefield, you learn that he and 12 other authors did a case series study on a dozen children whose parents brought their children to a hospital in England because, and they all said that after their child received the MMR, they developed gastrointestinal issues and symptoms of autism, regressed into autism following receipt. So the, the London Royal Hospital decided to explore this. Dr. Andrew Wakefield had already done some um, looking at the measles vaccine. And there were other, like I said, there's a dozen authors of this. This was not a hypothesis study that said, we think um, MMR causes autism and we're gonna set out to see if it's true. No, this was a case series study mainly to present the findings of these children. And the parents wanted the findings. They wanted their children examined. They wanted the studies done. They wanted, you know, all the tools to see if they could figure out what was going on in their children so they could help them get better. They were in a lot of pain. They were miserable. It, it was a very difficult place for the parents and the children to be in. 
when the study was released, um, the conclusion was that they did not find an association between the symptoms described in, in the paper and by the parents and the MMR. They did not find a connection, but they found enough information that they felt more studies were definitely needed to explore this. That was the conclusion of, the, of this paper, this case series paper. Well, then there was a um, press release. Uh, there was a press conference. And at this conference, Dr. Andrew Wakefield was asked, would you still recommend the MMR after doing this case series studies, what do you think? Would you recommend to parents to get the MMR vaccine? And he said, until further studies are done on what he called the triple jab, um, he recommended parents get the individual measles, mumps and rubella shots separated until more, more store studies could be done to find out if getting them all three at once was part of the problem of what may have led to the symptoms reported in this case series study and being reported around the world. Because he did this, because he undermined the sales of a triple product within a short amount of time, um, the single vaccines were withdrawn from the market by both companies who made them. So parents were left only with the option of a triple vaccine, the MMR, or nothing. And there's, if you want to read more about this, I forget the name, I've got an article on our website. Um, I think it's called What the BMJ Knew, because it's about information that the British Medical Journal knew. They're all caught up in this. There was just, there was a whole lot of subterfuge. There was a whole lot of scientific fraud being done, and it wasn't being done by Wakefield at all. It was being done by the pharmaceutical community. And when you read the data, there's books written about this that goes through the trial, that goes through everything. And if you really want to know what happened, and if you want to make an informed stance, have your own opinion on who Dr. Andrew Wakefield is, I encourage you to go read the real story. Go look his name up, use the search function on Informed Choice Washington website, and you can read a couple of articles and and then make draw your own conclusion. I tell you this story now because it has become part of the lexicon um, in this country and in science, um, something known as to be wakefielded. When you're wakefield, it means that you have been given a warning by the pharmaceutical industry. Um, your career has been ruined because you dared stand up and say something critical that is going to interfere with profits. And they know how to use the system to attack you, to attack your career um, and your, your good name and make your life fairly miserable. Dr. Andrew Wakefield is a hero of mine. Through all of his experience, he has stayed strong and true and humble and kind and devoted to finding answers to help children in this world. And, you know, he's never given that up. But what's happening now with COVID is 
all of the doctors had, you know, entered COVID in this place where you don't dare speak out. Even if you know the truth, you work quietly under the scenes. You don't publicly say some vaccines can cause harm or I'm concerned about a certain vaccine harm because they know that would get them attacked. But now so many people are being harmed by these products that the doctors are saying I, they have no choice. They have no choice. They just, in their hearts and souls, they cannot stay silent any longer and they're standing up and they're speaking out and they're saying it's time to stop we have to stop these products and so i really admire physicians and the doctors the lawyers everybody who every day are stepping forward to try to bring an end to this we all of us the doctors the attorneys the medical freedom advocacy groups like Informed Choice Washington, we don't want anybody harmed by a virus. We don't want anybody harmed by the response to the virus. We just want scientific integrity and public health policy. We want common sense. And that is what is not happening in this country today. The common sense seems to be fear is driving common sense out. Okay, I'm going to tell you about a couple other articles at, at the Children's Health Defender that you might want to explore. There was just so much news that they've been writing on. We have um, on August 6th, they report, oh, that's today, leaked document reveals shocking terms of Pfizer's international vaccine agreements. If you haven't read that yet, oh my goodness, this, all around the world when Pfizer was setting up contracts with countries, they had contracts that were unbelievable. I can't pull off, I could probably read it to you. Maybe I'll click on it and give you a little bit of the, um, oh good, stories at a glance. I love it when they do that so that I can give you the bullet points. So here's the bullet points from this story. A leaked document broken down by Twitter used EHDN, oh, user EHDN reveals the shocking terms of Pfizer's international COVID-19 vaccine agreements. Countries that purchase Pfizer's COVID-19 shot must acknowledge that Pfizer's efforts to develop and manufacture the product are subject to significant risks and uncertainties. In the event that a drug or other treatment comes out that can prevent, treat, or cure COVID-19, the agreement stands, and we're talking about billion-dollar agreements, and the country must follow through with their vaccine order. So even if it turns out that something better comes along, the governments cannot back out of the deal. They have to buy these doses whether they want them or not. While COVID-19 vaccines are, quote, free to receive in the U.S., they're being paid for by taxpayer dollars at a rate of $19.50 per dose. And that's in Albania. The leaked contract revealed, oh, wait. I'm not sure what country that was, Albania. The leak contract revealed paid $12 a dose. So in Albania, it was $12. I think it was 35 and everybody got different prices. The purchaser of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine must also acknowledge two facts that have largely been brushed under the rug. Both their efficacy and risks are unknown. Purchasers must also indemnify, defend, and hold harmless Pfizer from and against any and all suits, claims, actions, demands, losses, damages, liabilities, settlements, penalties, fines, costs, and expenses arising out of relating to or resulting from the vaccine. So pretty much you sign this, you're going to pay us 
and you know whatever happens we still get our money you still have to take the vaccines uh yeah this these are the sort of agreements that our government made with Pfizer and likely with Moderna, who is now saying that it looks like you're gonna need a third dose of this failed product. It's not preventing infection, viral replication, transmission, hospitalization, or death. Oh, uh, okay, so we're gonna go on to another headline here. We've got civil rights group sues George Mason University on behalf of professor required to get a COVID vaccine despite having natural immunity. The government ignoring natural immunity is another one of the things that makes no sense because scientists have been doing really good studies looking at natural immunity, looking at not just the antibodies, but looking at the bone marrow, looking at the T cell immunity. And they are seeing that natural immunity is very strong and appears to be very long lasting. They know that natural immunity to the first SARS-CoV virus that people 17 years later are still immune. And it looks as if natural immunity is as strong. And um, to the new SARS-CoV-2 and its variants. I just lost my thought. I hate it when that happens. The, um, and oh, the, so we know that the vaccines, because they're only making antibodies to the spike protein, you know, this is something brand new, never done before. They didn't know what sort of immune protection would offer. And apparently it's not what they're called sterilizing. It doesn't prevent that infection and transmission, but natural immunity does provide, for the most part, the sterilizing immunity. People are just not catching COVID after natural immunity. They're not being hospitalized. They're not dying. You're only seeing that with the vaccine. In fact, there is a, I'm going to look on my other computer here. I've got a, the most recent MMWR from the CDC. This is the Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report. Outbreak of SARS-CoV-2 infections, including COVID-19 vaccine breakthrough infections associated with large public gatherings. This one is in Barnstable County, Massachusetts in Ju um, July, 2021. So this is what they're reporting. In July, 2021, following multiple large public events in a Barnstable County, Massachusetts town, 469 COVID-19 cases were identified among Massachusetts residents who had traveled to the town during July 3rd through the 17th. 346, which is 74%, occurred in fully vaccinated persons. Testing identified the Delta variant in 90% of specimens from 133 patients. Cycle threshold value, values are similar among specimens from patients who are fully vaccinated and those who were not. So they also go on to say that the vaccination coverage rate among eligible Massachusetts residents was 69%. When you have 74% of the people who are, um, who catch COVID, who are fully vaccinated in a town that has 69% vaccination rates, we're looking at complete vaccine failure here. This, this is absurd. And, you know, for the CDC 
and our Washington State Department of Health and the Department of Health all over the place to continue to say, you have to get these, they're safe, they're effective. It flies in the face of fact. The facts are absolutely being ignored. Um, there's another article at the Defender about um, somebody, a member of a group, Offspring Band, boots their drummer for refusal to get a COVID vaccine, even though he has natural immunity. We know that those who have natural immunity, who kind of cave to the coercion so they can do what they need to do or want to do, um, that they are at higher risk of adverse reaction to the vaccines. We've known that since 2020. In fact, our own, um, the King County Health Officer, Dr. Jeffrey Duchin, at a December 31st, 2020 meeting right here in Washington State at the Vaccine Advisory Committee meeting, reported that he had been getting lots of reports of serious adverse reactions in people who had recently had COVID. And when he called the CDC to see if they were tracking it, the CDC said, no, we're not really specifically tracking that. We're not we're not paying attention to that. Excuse me? Why not? Why would you not track that? It's so important. If there are individuals who are fully protected already, who would be harmed by a product that's unnecessary for them to have, why would you not track that enough to exclude them now from future vaccination? Why is anybody with natural immunity being told to get it? Again, it makes no sense. And I run up against the edge of the clock here. Um, so I encourage you go to informedchoicewa.org, to um, childrenshealthdefense.org backslash defender. Check out the latest news. Empower yourself with knowledge. We're going to go on a quick break. And when we come back, I will have Jessica and Savannah Lay. We're going to talk about masks wearing during sports. So um, we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy, but we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. 
high above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. Welcome back to the Informed Life Radio, our second hour on 1150 AM KKNW. Um, last hour we were talking, oh, just everything, covering the headlines. I had the wonderful Jessica from California chapter of Children's Health Defense. They're doing some legal action there to help protect kids against some of these ridiculous orders going back to, you know, it's so funny. I'm going to stop myself right there because... You know, this radio journey of mine, you know, I came, I'm just Bernadette, you know, I'm not trying to be a, you know, professional newscaster. I'm just somebody who earnestly studies, engages, researches, communicates, putting it all out there, you know, um, and it's, it can be sometimes challenging not to say things like ridiculous. <laughs> I'm going to try to tone those down a little bit because, you know, I am very opinionated. But the goal of this show is to provide information for you to make decisions, you know, and y'all know where I stand, right? Um, but, you know, that that's the thing. I As long as people have all the information that they need to make a fully informed decision, then I totally respect people making decisions that, that I wouldn't make, that I disagree with. But they must have the proper information. And that's what this show is about. Okay, so I'm gonna uh, play for you uh, an interview I did just a little bit earlier today. This is uh, Jessica and Savannah Lay, a mom and 16 year old daughter. And um, Savannah had to wear a mask while playing basketball at school. And you'll hear from them exactly what happened. So I'll go ahead and get this started for you. Um, with me here today is Jessica Lay, who's the mom of Savannah Lay who has a mask journey, shall we call it, a mask experience that she is sharing with everybody because it's so important. More of these stories really need to be told. We need to learn. Um, and I'm going to go into a little bit um, with the conversation with the Lays about emergency use authorization, what is known and not known about um, 
mask wearing by the general public. Okay. But first, let's just start with meeting uh, Jessica and Savannah. Hi, ladies. Hi. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here. Now, you are in Oregon. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so um, I've been hearing about what happened. There have been some uh, news stories about it. There's been, I think, pretty good coverage of your experience, but I want to hear from you too exactly what happened. Um, Zavanna, are you comfortable with me asking, starting with you? Yeah, of course. Oh, okay, great. So how old are you? I'm 16. And, um, and what grade are you in? Or I'm going to be a sophomore this coming fall sophomore this fall and this experience that you had when did it take place um may 11th in may so the end of this last school year yes okay and so you're an athlete yeah yeah so tell me about that what's your favorite sport my favorite sport is basketball i have played lots of other sports uh, i've done basketball track i played soccer um, softball, volleyball. So I've kind of done it all, but basketball is just the one that I really just stuck with. Mm -hmm. Since how old were you when you first started? Uh, five or six, I think. Wow. Yeah, that's great. And, um, you know, have you ever had any playing sports, any health issues at all? You know, never, never. never. Okay. So, um, what were the, in May when you were, um, at basketball at your school what were the requirements made on you um that we would be wearing a mask at all times in the gym and if it came below your nose they asked you to pull it up uh just the regular I guess not the new normal I guess is what you'd say okay um so yeah and what sort of masks did they ask you to wear um they asked you to wear like the the paper, like the blue ones that you get from like the hospital or like okay. one of your own, you couldn't wear like, you know, the mesh or the, you know. I think okay. you were wearing a mesh that day, I was, yeah. yeah. We kind of tried, we would do the mesh that didn't look like mesh, you know, so you could get away with it. So she was wearing something as breathable as possible and yeah. still complying. Mm -hmm. um, and she still experienced um, what happened. Okay. And so um, there you are at practice. What sort of, describe to me a basketball practice. What are you doing physically? Yeah, so basketball practice, we usually, we get there, we put on our shoes, we warm up, we um, just do normal drills. I don't know, like- Like what kind of drill? Like we yeah. do like layups, we do running drills. Um, dribbling drills just like kind of the whole shebang yeah so you're you're moving quickly enough that you're you're getting up you know your heart rate's going up there yeah. and you're working yeah. up a little sweat right mm -hmm. that yeah. that intense of a workout okay so then i'll let you take over explain to us that day um so that day i had just gotten back from track practice and so I walked over to basketball because it's very close. It's just the middle school. And so we were having practice and I was just doing drills that are normally, you know, warm up drills. So they're preferably, you know, easy. And um, I was doing them and I, we were doing like running, I was doing some layups and I found it really increasingly difficult to breathe. And so I had asked the coaches to go to the sidelines to take a break. And I was just trying to catch my breath because I wasn't really sure what was going on. And so I kept pulling my mask down, but the coaches and one of the teammates told me that I wasn't allowed to do that. And so I was doing like all these weird stretches because I wasn't 
quite too sure, you know, how to catch my breath. And so when my teammate told me that I wasn't allowed to pull my mask down, I went into the locker room and um, I went onto the floor because just immediately as soon as I walked into the locker room, it's a lot cooler than the gym and the, just the coldness was helping me breathe. So then I like, I got onto the floor cause I was like, this is, you know, giving me some sort of relief. And one of my teammates actually walked in Dallas is her name. And she, I was like, I need you to go get somebody. Cause it got to the point where I was really struggling for air and she went to go get somebody. And the last thing I remember is one of the coaches came in and then I woke up in the ambulance. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That is such an experience. Um, so wh what happened next then? Um, you, were, you were told, one of you want to um, then explain what happened when you were um, unconscious. Yeah, I, I wasn't told anything by the, the ER. Uh, as soon as I got off of the ambulance, they, they tried to make me put on a mask. And I was like, whoa, like, I'm not really sure what just happened in the the uh, ambulance guys weren't really saying too much. So it was all really confusing until my mom got there and the doctor kind of explained what had happened. So I'll let her tell that. Okay. Yeah. So I was at home working and I just got the phone call and, and I didn't recognize the number and I answer and it's one of the coaches and I, and I'm like, Oh, wonder why they're calling me in the middle of practice. And she said, we have a situation Savannah is unconscious. We need you to get here as quick as possible, but please be careful and be safe. And I was like, whoa, whoa, wait, what? Like, what do you mean? Like, Savannah's extremely healthy. She's an aggressive athlete. You know, she just wrapped up track season. So it's not like she hadn't played any sports all year, you know? And so I, she just said, I can't really explain. Just get here as quick as you can. So they hang up, I hop in my car, we're about a 15 minute drive from the school. As you can imagine, it was felt forever, like forever. Um, on the way there, they told me to go straight to the hospital because she was already being transported. And I didn't know anything else um, at all. By the time I got to the emergency room, she was already in a room and was conscious and kind of jittery and like overly hyper and talkative, which is unlike her, totally. She's not a super talkative person. And she didn't know what had happened. The ER didn't really know what had happened. They just said, you know, we said, you know, she had collapsed. You need to call someone else to get the information. So in the meantime, my phone's kind of blowing up with other moms of girls on the team, like asking how she is, saying, um, do you know what happened? And I'm, I'm like, no, I don't know anything. I have no idea. Like, so the more it started to unravel and kind of the onion layer started coming off, I realized how serious it actually was. Um, you know, it became a lot heavier because I realized that she had been unconscious for the entire 911 call that we know of, which was over four minutes long. Um, I now have records of the 911 call and I've now spoken to coaching staff um, and the 911, you know, first first responders and, and the police officer that arrived first on the scene. And what we know now is that she um, went into the locker room. She couldn't breathe. It kept getting worse and worse. She laid on the floor because she thought, you know, the cold tile gave her some relief. And then at one point when she finally went unconscious and collapsed onto the floor, thank thankfully her 
one of her teammates was in the locker room, which never happens. Nobody goes in there during the practice. It was a miracle from the Lord. She was in there. She ran and got help because what if she hadn't have been there? Savannah would have been alone in the locker room unconscious. And I don't even want to think about what could have happened. So when the coaches ran in, there was like a locker room uh, mirror kind of right by where she was laying. And they, this is from the coaches. They told me they rolled her over and put her mouth by the mirror because they couldn't get a pulse and they couldn't, she wasn't breathing. And they thought, well, maybe there'll be some breath in the reflection of the mirror. And there wasn't. And I think that's when they called 911. And um, in the 911 call, you can hear the 911 dispatcher basically advising them to do um, chest compressions and CPR. And they do that pretty much the whole time they're waiting for first responders. So pretty serious, pretty chaotic, uh, pretty terrifying. And I don't know, she did not come to consciousness until the first responder arrived and was able, he was able to get her conscious and breathing. And then she was slipping in and out. Goodness. I, I, I can't imagine as a parent <laughs> what that must uh, have been like. And thank goodness, like you said, that there was um, somebody in the locker room to, to go get help. Um, so following that was, I mean, explain to me what, what your journey was, because you, you automatically, of course, put two and two together. Your child was masked during physical exertion and had this experience. Um, what were your next steps once you got her home? She's stable. She's breathing. You know, she's okay. As a mama bear, what are your next steps? So being in a small town, everyone kind of knows everyone. And I've had a business here for a long time. So I thought, you know, the next step after it really sank in how serious it was. I mean, we were up all night in the hospital. I was up all night talking to the police office and, you know, getting, gathering information. So that next day, I scheduled an appointment with the superintendent, or excuse me, the principal and the athletic director, whom I know fairly well, and asked them to meet with us. So my husband and I went down there and met with them and said, hey, this is not okay. More kids are going to get hurt. This was sort of had just came off the tail end of a, another athlete um, in, a, in a nearby town collapsing on the finish line during the track meet. Um, and that was pretty scary. And that um, invoked some change into outdoor sports. Our governor took away masks for outdoor sports, such as track after that incident. And I said, we have to make a change. Like, I need you guys, I need your support because I'm going to the top with this. And if you know me at all, you know, I will. Mm -hmm. And there cannot be another child that's going to die on my watch like this won't happen what happened to my daughter will not happen again if i have anything to do with it and i don't want to see any other kids getting hurt so what are you going to do to partner with me and this is probably what fueled my fire because they looked at me and said well we are so sorry about what happened to you and while we support you privately there's just nothing we can do publicly and we you know good luck on your cause and please be careful not to make any enemies because you're going to upset a lot of people if you get if you are the reason why our basketball season gets canceled. And I said, Oh you know, my goodness! I mean, I'm just so shocked. I'm shocked and yet and yet not, you know. And I want you to remember where you are. But this is exactly how this nation is being bullied because people are seeing harm. They're admitting harm. They're trying to protect something else instead of the children. 
Mm -hmm. right? They're putting all these other needs first, instead of being brave like you and, and standing up. If everybody who understood things that are wrong, that are happening, stood up and just said, no, mm -hmm. this would end. But that is so upon, protect the basketball program ahead of Savannah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah. So, I looked them straight in the eye and I said, you know what? I could care less about a basketball season, especially this one. It's like a month long. It's not even a real basketball season this year because of COVID. It's not that we're having it in May instead of November when we normally do. You know, it's just not really, if this is a season to miss, it'd be this one, right? And, you know, I feel bad for the girls that have worked their butts off since they were little girls and it's their senior year. However, basketball will never be more important than my child's safety or the safety of the other children, period. Just like you said. And so I looked him straight in the eye and I said, you know what? I think that's unfortunate that you think basketball is more important than the safety of these kids. And your job is to keep these kids safe. And I said, that's unfortunate that you don't see the same way I do. Thanks for mm -hmm. this meeting and goodbye. And so when I left there that day, I kind of felt almost like a release knowing that they didn't, care. And they told me basically in a nutshell, they didn't care. And that I felt a release to go forward and it didn't matter what I had to do to make our cause known to help other kids. Because before I was a little nervous, like, well, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to ruffle any feathers or rock the boat. You know, it's a small community. And when they told me they were more worried about the season, it was like, you know, my gloves are off. This is the last straw. Like, I'm no parent should ever get the same phone call that I got and yeah. it should never happen. It should never happen. Kids in, in sports, kids in general should not be wearing a mask uh, when there are no long-term studies to prove that it's doing anything and it's, keeping them safe. Oh, exactly. You know, and that's a, a great time for me to segue over and read to you a little bit from the, the EUA, the emergency use authorization for mask wearing by the general healthy symptom-free public, right? Mm -hmm. This, the emergency use authorization information is aimed at, really aimed at manufacturers of masks. It lets them off the hook for any injuries happening because of their product. They don't have to put the products through safety testing like they normally would because it's an emergency situation. Um, it's, it's not really designed for people who wear homemade masks. Homemade masks are even, you know, there, there's just nothing, you know, you're, you're told, go ahead and wear them, but you know, there's no, nothing surrounding it um, basically. But these emergency use authorizations uh, say that manufacturers and distributors, and this would be, so if you're wearing the surgical mask, there are masks that look like surgical masks, but that actually aren't. Is that the kind that um, she was wearing like the blue ones. It says that not, okay. So this EUA covers the manufacturer of those blue masks here. It says manufacturers and distributors will include instructions for recommended cleaning and or disinfection. Oh, wait, that's not what I wanted to read. Um, where is the one? Hold on, this is good. Oh, here we go. Manufacturers and distributors of authorized products shall not label the product one, as a surgical mask to provide liquid barrier protection. They shall not, number two, label it for use in a clinical setting where the infection risk level through inhalation exposure is high. 
They shall not label it for antimicrobial or antiviral protection. Did you hear that? They can't label these masks as having any antibacterial or antiviral protection or related uses or uses for infection prevention or reduction or related uses. They can't label it as a respiratory protective device or as a device for high risk aerosol generating procedures. Basically, they cannot label that these masks do anything to protect anybody, not the people who wear them and not the people that they're around. And on top of it, it says that manufacturers will have a process in place for, for reporting adverse events of which they become aware to FDA under 21 CFR Part 803. Does anybody know that you can report adverse events from mask wearing to the manufacturer and the FDA? Right. Mm -hmm. So there's this process in place. The general public has not been told about. Therefore, the data on how much harm is being done with these masks is not being collected. The emergency use authorization was only given because the FDA claimed that the current science they knew about showed that the benefits likely outweighed any risks. But they didn't specify, and, it, and of course, it actually didn't. If they were actually to go, we've got plenty of pre-COVID mass studies which prove otherwise. So obviously, the people, the FDA, do not know how to research their own studies, um, you know, or the body of science that's out there, and um, and it's supposed to, you know, only can stay in place if this benefit-risk profile is there. This EUA is so general and vague too, it doesn't mention anything about how long they can be worn. There's nothing in there that says that uh, emergency use authorization allows states to say individuals can be masked up eight hours a day, five days a week, month and month and year upon year on end, even while doing vigorous activities, right? So nobody is applying common sense to this stuff. It's like people's brains just shut off and it's it's infuriating um, that it came to this point, that it came something so life-threatening to your daughter for everybody, you know, to be waking up to the nonsense here. Um, and just one other thing, I'm on my soapbox, I'm gonna stay here for just another second, um, is that everything COVID measure related is experiencing exactly what you did is people will say, oh, I know it doesn't make sense or, or this is concerning, but I have to keep the license of this facility. I have to keep my job. You know, there's an excuse after excuse after an excuse. So your grandmother dying alone in the nursing home happens because, you know, the nursing home is more afraid of losing their license than ensuring that their um, residents have death with dignity. So many things were compromised and, and called not worthy because people, not that they were afraid of COVID, they were afraid of getting in trouble or losing something because they stood up to orders that made no sense. So I thank you both for being the brave ones. And so, yeah, the gloves are off when somebody says they're going to put a basketball, a month long 
not real basketball program ahead of the health of kids by gum. Yes, the gloves are off. So, so then what happened? You, what did you do next? It was kind of just like a whirlwind. We immediately just started getting calls from different radio stations and newspapers. And we, um, the first thing we did was an interview with our local newspaper. Um, so then the cat was out of the bag, you know, so to speak. And then parents started calling me from all over our state, uh, reaching out saying, oh my gosh, this incident happened to my child or my child experienced this during PE or just reaching out for advice and hope and encouragement. And it's an unbelievable how many stories, maybe not as drastic, but very similar as Savannah that are out there that parents are scared to say. Um, in fact, there was six high school basketball athletes in our state after what happened to Savannah that collapsed on the court during games. So this was after Savannah. So what if one of those would have, I mean, what is it gonna take? And I've said this multiple times, but does a child have to die before anybody actually listens or anyone actually stands up? Like, is it is it okay to be near death? I mean, what at what point of closeness to death is it, do we now make a difference and stand up? And to me, I'm not gonna let it go that far. And those those other basketball players should have never had to experience that, those parents, those families. If, if they would have done something, if our governor would have stood up and changed the, the in fact, by the end of the school year, 2021, every single sport was allowed to perform without a mask except basketball. Because she would not remove indoors? it from basketball. Yeah, I believe. She removed it from other indoor sports? So she removed it from wrestling about halfway through the season, which was a parallel season to basketball. Wrestling, where you're actually face-to-face yeah. -face with your opponent, where your spittle could be really flying. Yeah. And it's <laughs> okay. indoors too. Yes. It's, it's like the most intimate close contact sport there is. So she allowed them offer that, but not basketball. Yeah. What, what, see the common sense. I, it's just, are they putting something in the water to make people just be idiotic? You know, I, I apologize. I'm usually not so <laughs> like on my soapbox, like verbose about all this, but this is just, okay. No. So everything but basketball, that is everything but basketball. So we've just been, you know, trying to speak at events. We've spoken at our state capitol, trying to get the word out, trying to help invoke change. And, and then the school year ended and we went to a school board meeting the last one of the year. It was the first in person and we packed the house. There was multiple parents speaking about how it, the mass had adversely affected their kids kids spoke it was super powerful and i will give our school board props they did let everyone speak they didn't cut anyone off i think that they handled it very professionally so i will give them kudos for that uh however there wasn't necessarily anything that came of that um the next month they announced which was july as we all know that the masks are coming back our superintendent did make a statement saying uh that she wasn't going to require masks in the fall. So we thought, awesome, you know, we made a difference. Something's changing. Like, um, and then of course, Kate Brown's announcement in this past two weeks that we will have masks in the fall. So that was the most recent. It was kind of quiet for a little bit. And we were all just kind of taking a breather from the fight. And little did we know there was a lot behind the scenes happening. You know, it's kind of like being in the eye of the tornado, you know, it's coming, mm -hmm. but everything's kind of still 
And now is a time where parents need to fight. They need to stand up because if we don't, this is going to be the new norm. And we're going to go back into a whole nother year of our kids suffering from mental health issues Mm -hmm. and the face masks. And I mean, I just read an article last night that, that the suicide rate last year in teenagers went up fivefold. Mm-hmm. So, and I believe that's probably pretty darn accurate, maybe even more larger than that. So if we're, if we are quote unquote, saving these children from spreading, because we know it doesn't affect them like it affects an adult, but we're losing five times more kids to suicide. What are we trying to do here? It doesn't even make sense. No. And the studies show that the children are not the drivers of transmission. Um, if anything, you know, all of the studies around the world where kids are going back to school and they're not masked, the only cases of COVID that they're showing, which are extremely rare, um, are potentially a teacher infecting a student, not a student infecting a teacher. And of course, the kids are basically fine. Now, I don't want to dismiss the case that there have been some um around 300 children have passed away from covid but 300 out of the entire you know population it's very sad but they too had chronic underlying health issues you know that led to them and they were not given early treatment early treatment exists and you know that's a whole other program in the fact everybody needs to embrace early treatment, go to flccc.net and learn all about the ivermectin nutrient protocols. None of this should be going on because we have early treatment. We have effective um, protocols. And this this fear is being driven uh, completely out of, you know, out of something else. Um, and I had a good thought and just went out of my brain. So I'll, I'll go back to you. So continue with, um, with what happened. I, hey, in one of the articles that I read, it said, I believe that the school board chair was very supportive of your concerns. Is that, um, could you explain who that was? Yeah. Yeah. So the school board chair is Scott Cooper and he, uh, of course, is the one who speaks during the school board meetings to, mm-hmm. you know, comments on anything. And he expressed his concern at the end that he very much agrees with our stance and that he doesn't think it's it's good. And I'm paraphrasing here for the kids to be in mass and that he personally will help fight. Um, and so kudos to him. I hope yeah. he sticks by his word. Yeah. I um, encourage him to stick by his word. And we have an upcoming school board meeting this next week I'm attending. So we'll see kind of where where things are feeling there. Um, The hard part for me is I am receiving letters from our superintendent that say something very different than what she's telling the public. Oh, can you explain that? So who's your superintendent? Is this just in your county or is this all of Oregon? Um, This is just our county and her name is Sarah E. Johnson. She's the superintendent here of Kirk County School District. And she uh, recently sent me a certified letter and very lengthy, five pages to be exact. And she kind of just went over some of, I had put a full complaint in back in May when everything happened about how Savannah was, what happened with Savannah was handled and how, you know, they could have cost her her life by their negligence. And I just got a letter literally a week ago from her. And she has very recently gone public and said that she does not, she said it is her goal to not have masks in the fall. 
So rewind a month ago, she put a public statement out saying we will not have masks in the fall, like period. Now, since Kate Brown has made her announcement, our governor, she has kind of backpedaled and said, it's now my goal to not have masks in the fall. And she's saying she doesn't agree with it and that she's basically gonna do whatever, whatever she can so that the kids don't have to wear masks. But then in my letter, I can read a little excerpt if you'd like straight from yeah, the letter. Yeah, that, that would be helpful. Because sure. I, I do find, <clears throat> you know, just like we mentioned, there's all sorts of double messaging going on. Yeah. Um, on, on every aspect of COVID, you get people who say one thing publicly and another privately. You know, and and that is part of this massive confusion and why we're not getting anywhere. So, yeah, I would love to know what the private communication is sure. as opposed to and it's coming from um, a school superintendent. So I just want to sort of make sure I have um, I, I put out there that this communication would be um, open to public disclosure public, through yeah. public records request. So you're not revealing anything that would be considered, um, you know, I don't know the term, but you know what I'm saying. So it's public information because of sure. the office it came from. Okay. Yep. Anyone could get this letter for sure. It's okay. public. So she wrote, I will continue to direct the administrators and staff to enforce the state mask requirement until that requirement is eliminated. It is, oh, sorry. It is unreasonable to expect a school district to disregard the state mandate. And then she continues, school districts that fail to comply with such requirements risk the loss of state education funding, fines, and other sanctions imposed by the Occupational Safety and Health Administration and legal liability in the event that a student, staff member, or visit contract COVID-19. So, but, you know, I've heard in Washington state school boards are, you know, are being told the same thing that, gosh, we would love to support you, but our hands are tied, they'll pull funding. And again, they're putting funding ahead of children's lives. They're putting everything ahead of children's lives. And where's their nerve? Let's stand up and, and fight this. You know, yeah. I, so is it really true that they would lose that? Can't Does the state have that power? Last week, I interviewed Mark um, Thielman. Thielman. That? Thielman, yeah. Thielman, yeah. Um, awesome guy. And he awesome. has stood up against some of these. Um, and he says they really can't do what they're saying to do. We all need to just stand up and, and fight back. You know, man-made laws, regulations, orders, it, systems... And they're not perfect. And when they're not, when flaws happen and they put people's lives in danger, we're supposed to change them, not just say, oh gosh, that's the rule. Oh gosh, I can't. No, you change it. Man wrote it, man can break it, man can rewrite it. We yeah. need to take control. And the United States of America was founded on the premise that we create government to serve us. If what we created is no longer serving us, but is now harming us, we are supposed to remake it. We are supposed to change it. It can't, it, it, it shouldn't enslave us, right? So uh, yeah, hearing these things and hearing her um, articulate that she's gonna support it and it would know that they need to step up. And when something is unjust and they know it's unjust, 
you know, that needs to be fought. And what I want to see happen around the nation are the brave individuals like you, the people, the children who have already experienced, I'm sorry for calling you a child at 16 year young woman, but the young ones, the minors, um, I'm old enough to be your grandma here. So <laughs> you're all your child to me, um, who have been harmed that they all take file lawsuits. They all file and put everybody on the hook. I want every single school board member, school principal, school superintendent, governor of every single state to fear harming children above anything else. That's where it has to be. And if it has to be done in the courts, so be it, we'll do it. They, you know, they need to use some common sense. When you read the EUA and you see what these masks can't, cannot do, what the manufacturers can't even claim, right? And when we know there's no long-term studies, there are zero studies saying it's safe for children to run track, play basketball, um, or even sit in a classroom for eight hours a day, five days a week, masked up. We know that facial expression and proper breathing impact all aspects of our health. Physical, neurological, um, social, psychological, developmental. There are, um, there are teachers and experts across the board who, who are relating stories of the children being harmed. So the risk benefit ratio is just not there. It never has been. And the only reason they've been able to get away with it all this time is because what we already discussed is people have this mindset of, oh gosh, I can't do that. Oh gosh, I can't. Really? Yes, you can. All of us need to have nerve. We all need to grow a backbone. We all need to be heroes in our own lives right? And join together with others and recreate all of this. Um, I really am on that soapbox today. <laughs> An important topic. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell me then, okay, so you, you, you get this letter and let me see, and then where does that leave you? Where are you? Go ahead. I just, I just want to hold people accountable. You can't say one thing publicly and then send something privately. That's completely opposite of what you spoke publicly. I want to keep people accountable and I want I want our superintendent to be honest and truthful mm -hmm. with the public because I think it's a ploy just like our governor to give parents hope that maybe there will be no mass in the fall so they don't make backup plans and they just carry on planning on school to start in September like normal and then the week before school mark my words they're going to say oh we're so sorry our hands are tied you now have to wear masks and parents are stuck. They don't have a backup plan. Maybe they work full time. They haven't looked into private schools or charter schools or online schools. And so they just send their kids because they're, they don't feel like they have any other options. Right. Um, so. You know, I, I would love to see a tidal wave of parents and children, maybe the older kids. I don't know, like people, like kids like Savannah, she's a brave, mature young woman. I would love to see those who can do it just show up at school with no masks. Let's have 10,000 kids, 100,000 kids, a million kids show up in school with no masks and demand to be taught and to participate without these restrictions. Because we, you know, it's coming down to just saying no to the absurdity. 
yeah. let's get these cases in court. So what are you going to do? Send the kid home and then, you know, we'll just start filing cases case after case saying, no, you're asking our child to experience harm in order to, to get your, your state required education, right? Our constitution says that our state has to provide education to students, you know? Um, yeah. Ours is too, I was just reading through the revised Ready Safe Learning Program packet for mm -hmm. Oregon. They just revised it for the coming year. And it does say in the old one and the current one that they, they have to provide public education to our children and they cannot discriminate if they are not able to wear a mask. Yeah, It literally says it right. I could, if I had it handy, I would read it for word for word to you, but mm -hmm. I encourage people to go look it up on the website. It's under Oregon yeah. Department of Education. It says that they have to accommodate children so tell me, um, in Oregon, does that governor, I'm going to try to be civil, have medical exemptions in this order mandate that she gives? Uh, in the man, in the Ready Safe Learner for Schools, there is a mental health ex exception accommodation. There is, and I believe it says physical accommodation, and the, um, the if you have a disability you should be able to have an exemption or an accommodation. Okay. I don't know if it's exact verbiage is medical. Okay. But, but, but health, health related um, issues and health can be mental. It can be physical. It can be, okay. So health related yeah. issues. I so. Yeah. so I would say to any parent listening and spread this to everybody, if you know your child either has pre-existing conditions that makes wearing that mask harmful to their mental, emotional, psychological, developmental health, or if you know that past experience has shown it to be harmful to your child's physical, emotional, developmental, psychological health, then you qualify for one of those medical exemptions and you claim it. Yeah. You claim the medical exemption and send your child to school. And I would say that's probably... Uh, 99.99% of our children, because yeah. wearing a face mask for eight hours a day, five days a week, month on end, is not safe for anybody. We wouldn't do this to animals. If you put face masks on cats, you know, the Animal Cruelty Society would be after you in a heartbeat. Why can we do it to our children? This is just crazy. Um, yeah, so, you know, we, we just need to fight back. We need to, you know, there's a couple of different approaches that I see. Everybody claim the medical exemption that is their right because these vaccines are, are sorry, vaccines. I jumped, my brain went right yes, on so, over. We're yes. not going to talk about vaccines in this conversation. <laughs> program too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, um, the, the masks. Oh, yeah. The, and, you know, I'm going to say it right here. I don't know, if, you know, masks are placeholders for the vaccines. One of the driving reasons, not being said, but we know it, um, beside the fact that the CDC has admitted that vaccination with these products on the market do not prevent infection or transmission, hospitalization, or death, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that this new variant, the people who are vaccinated are actually growing more virus than the non-vaccinated in their nose and throat, able to transmit more. That's why they're putting the mask on, but the mask does not block the virus. So it's still absurd to use it. 
just like I was reading earlier, you know, you read the package on one of those blue masks. It says this cannot fill, this cannot block viruses and bacteria, blah, blah, blah. So, okay. It's being done to coerce and compel and increase uh, vaccination rates. And emergency use authorization is like on the horizon for five to 12 year olds. And if you make five to 12 year olds and their parents miserable enough, they might cave to get their kids out of the mask by getting them these investigational products with no long-term safety. And, you know, all more adverse events reported than any other product on the market. And I'm sorry, I didn't mean to verge into, but we have to look at the reality of what masks, you know, what they're claimed to do that they can't do, and um, the, the reclaimed reasons for them, but then the actual reasons um, uh, for their uh, being thrust upon the population. It's, you know, we just, we can't be shy about speaking truth. Mm -hmm. The time is over for us to be afraid mm -hmm. um, of speaking up and speaking out the truth, the truth about the motives, the truth about the products, the truth about the harm. We all have to speak up as, as citizens, just like you guys are doing and, and say no. What is on the horizon for you two? What, what are you going through now? Did, did I hear that it, you have a lawsuit that you were uh, pending or what's going on there? Well, we're pursuing that route. Um, and really just because if that's what it takes to get the attention and to um, cause a trickle across the nation so that other people have hope or see that, that we were successful mm -hmm. and that they will attempt it too. That's our goal is to, um, to give other people encouragement and to keep people accountable for what they're doing to our kids yeah. at the, end of the day. And so that is sort of looming and that might be a long road. I'm not, we're not really sure. We've never been in that, like mm -hmm. the legal world ever in our life. So it's very new territory for us. Um, and really just fight it. Our, we've, we've taken a stand. We've, our kids are not enrolled in the public school system. Uh, we, we will not let them go back if they have to wear masks. That's not even an option in our family. And uh, we will not do sports with that. I mean, we're just taking a stand and we're encouraging other parents in our community to take a stand locally. And we're just speaking out as much as we can. And we're just calling people. Now is the time for mama bears to stand up and dads and grandparents. It, our voices will come together and it will be a loud voice, but we cannot do it alone. The people who are fighting this have been fighting for almost two years now and they're exhausted. Mm -hmm. We need more people to rise up and refresh us and join the cause. It's like the battles before the war. We've been in battle after battle after battle and we've been winning and we've been, we've been gaining ground, but the, but the, the war is coming. And we need more warriors for the battlefield, so. Yes, we do. And you know, they say when one man or woman stands up, 50 more grow a backbone. And um, you know, we never lose people. When people begin to understand really what's going on and, and come over to the side for, for freedom and scientific integrity and common sense, we never lose them to, back to the other, right. the other side. Our side is growing exponentially. Um, I think that's where we are ending that conversation there. There was just a little bit more going, but we're coming up against the hour here in a bit. I guess I got a few more minutes. Um, 
I think I unshared. Are we stopping share now? There we go. Sorry about that. Technical difficulties on my end. Uh, so I so admire uh, Jessica and Savannah, you know, mom and daughter standing up, speaking what happened to them, sharing, uh, going to board meetings, going to various meetings, pulling people together, sharing their experiences. This is what it's going to take. This is what we all need to do in our lives. We all have the power to make the world a better place and to not let all of this nonsense continue. It's in our hands. And the answer is really very simple and yet probably the hardest things. So a lot of times the simplest things in life are the hardest. But I encourage you to just, you know, take some time to step back and think, like, imagine yourself 20 years from now, reflecting back on what you were faced with and what your choices were. How, you know, what would you like to have seen yourself done? when faced with certain pressures and challenges. Change is really hard and there's a lot of people in very difficult situations. Informed Choice Washington gets emails and phone calls every day from individuals in tears saying, my work is going to make me get the shot. The, you know, or my husband's work is going to do it. And, you know, and while medical and religious exemptions are being offered, a lot of times the terms of those are so manipulated that it's very, very challenging to get. And it still may mean in some circumstances that the individual may lose their job if they, they opt for it. I heard from one individual who was told um, the letter went out that if they did not turn in the paperwork saying they got the shot, they were just going to, the employer would be assuming that this, they were resigning basically for not complying. It's ridiculous. Um, so that self-empowerment, think of, think of yourself years from now, what actions would you like to have taken? Try to imagine yourself as a character in a book. It's very difficult to make decisions when your emotions are so caught up, when you have fear for your future, fear of losing your home because you might lose your job, fear of not making that achievement you wanted to or getting into the school that you wanted to, finishing school, um, in the amount of time you hope to finish because now maybe you in order to avoid the requirements of a particular school you wanted to go to you would have to make decisions you don't want to make that are not in your own medical best interest so maybe you have to delay school a year or two or move to another state where they a college does not have that and you might have to set up residency before you can afford to go to that college very difficult decisions are being made. But imagine yourself, your future self, looking back. What decision do I wish I had made? If you were a character in a movie or a book, what decision would you want that character to have made in this situation? That's what we need to do. Try to breathe. 
try to relax, try to get out there into nature and forget about everything for a while. Try to get to an emotional place where you can think more clearly and rationally and realize that life is a journey. And, you know, think about those books and movies I'm telling you to put yourself in, you know, what kind of ending do you want? What kind of hero do you want? You know, the best books and movies are full of the most challenges and conflict and difficult decisions. And, and let's face it, humans kind of like excitement. We like challenges. That's why the news is full of a lot of stuff and a, a lot of bad stuff and not a lot of good stuff because those challenges and that bad stuff really gets you riled up, gets your adrenaline going, but you can't make decisions in those places. So I encourage you to, you know, step aside, spend time with loved ones that people understand you and get you, laugh, listen to music, do what it takes to get to a better place and, um, and think about it and make decisions based on where you'd like to see yourself in the future, the kind of person you want to be, the kind of decisions you want to have made. Because remember, the decisions you make reflect on you. The things other people do to us, that reflects on them. And another thing, like one of the things I talked about when we were off air there with uh, Savannah and her mom, you know, because there's a, there's a lot of relationships that are breaking up right now over COVID, over COVID responses, over vaccine or not vaccine, mask or not mask, you know, all of the different issues that are happening and there's not full agreement. We all have to have grace in our hearts and go forward in love, go forward in truth and with strength, but always with love and forgiveness. You know, we might go our separate ways for a while, but try to do so with love for the other, knowing that maybe eventually we'll come back together, you know, when all this ends. And it ends by all of us walking in our own truth. Thank you so much for listening today, for tuning into an informed life radio. We're going to be back next week with two more hours of an informed life. Take care. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, Inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at healthyimmunitynow.org. That's healthyimmunitynow.org. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. 
My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today.